We're talking Giants football with special guest Lori Fitzpatrick, a former women's football league player. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you, and as promised, I have a special interview. This is one that I've been wanting to have for a long time. The lady on the screen with me is Lori Fitzpatrick. She is a former football player. She she played for the IWFL. She was also uh, with the WFA, Women's Football Alliance, played cornerback, played running back. She knows a lot about the game, a lot about the quarterback position, which we are going to talk about, even though she didn't play quarterback, she's going to talk, give us some opinions on that. We're going to talk about Brian Dable, a whole bunch of stuff. And I am so excited. Lori, thank you so much for coming on with me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be on here. Honestly, it's, I, I grew up in Jersey, so I have a, a lot of history and I know a lot about the NFC East. So, so yeah, I'm just happy to be here to talk football. And Lori, of course, can also be read on USA Today's touchdown wire she's a she's a football writer on top of everything and I believe also a podcaster too right you have a podcast yeah so um I uh I, I was talking about the uh the Jacksonville Jaguars uh for a little bit I'm I'm a part of the Believe Network so I've been trying to get kind of that back up and running uh you know after the offseason um and uh, I also have a YouTube channel where I where I just make videos about every single player across the NFL, sometimes just like schemes and things like that with, uh, with different teams. It's not uh, focused on one team. It's kind of all over. So, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's called ponytails talking pigskins. So, all right. I love it. We'll put it all in the show notes for you. If you want to check it out, giant fans, we've got a lot to cover with Lori and uh, Lori, let's start off with the change in the giants uh, offensive philosophy. Now, obviously we haven't seen how head coach Brian Dable, how offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, how they're going to specifically map out this offense. We know obviously their history um, Dable coming down from Buffalo, Kafka coming over from Kansas City, taking your best gets. What's the, and, and you know taking into consideration the personnel that the Giants have on offense. What do you maybe envision for this offensive scheme? How can they get the get it basically from life support to to being fully functional? Yeah, I think there's going to be a more um, misdirection. Uh, I think that they're going to have some more maybe jet sweeps. They're going to run some empty looks. Uh, they're going to put, you know, Saquon out on the outside. Uh, they may hand it off to uh, Wandell. Uh, and it, it really also depends on how, you know, Tony is doing, too. Um, I haven't I haven't really uh, done much research on on how he's feeling health wise. Uh, but it but if he's able to to really go all out 110 percent this year, him and Robinson, I think they're going to be a pretty deadly duo. Um if they can, if you can basically just put their hands, put their, put the ball in their hands and get them in open space, I think they have a really good chance of uh, having more yak. So yards after the catch, right? So I think it's going to be more of a spread type of offense. Um, and 
I think they're going to just try to get the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands pretty quickly. Uh, it's going to be probably more timing routes. Uh, you'll see a little bit of RPO in there. And, and you know, I know you guys don't want to see Daniel Jones run the ball. You know, you're, you're a little afraid of, you know, what's going to happen. Is, is he going to slide? Is he not going to slide? What's gonna, you know, you don't want him to get hurt. Um, but if you asked me three, four, four months ago, if the Giants were going to be able to land two offensive linemen, including uh, Clevion Thibodeau, like I would have said no way And with Evan Neal. And now you guys have Evan Neal in there, who's obviously the best tackle. Um, so I think Daniel Jones is going to have a little bit more confidence uh, actually staying in the pocket this year. Um, but it's going to be more of a timing thing. I think you're going to see maybe uh, like short throws and then deep throws. So there's probably not going to be a lot of in-between, but more spread. Just- would you say it's going to be more Buffalo flavor or what I'm trying to kind of figure out because Buffalo and Kansas city, two very different systems. So, I mean, I'm trying to figure out where exactly the, the two systems are going to mesh. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's tough, right? So you don't, you, you don't really have a, a Patrick Mahomes, but who is Patrick Mahomes? You know, he's his own player, right? And you don't know if you have a Josh Allen because, you know, he's Josh Allen. So you have to kind of take a mix between the both of them. But you certainly have the wide receivers that are similar to Tyreek Hill, where, you know, they can get open uh, fairly quickly right off the break. Uh, but they're, they also take handoffs in the backfield. So I think it'll be less centralized around Daniel Jones and more about the weapons that surround him um, and, and see what they can do after the catch. I think that's going to be more important than, um, like centralizing the offense around the quarterback. Uh, but, you know, Daniel Jones, if you look at that first season, man, like he was dangerous. So you kind of, you want to, you want to see him become more comfortable first before you can trust him with the ball deep, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now you look at Dable and what he was able to do with Josh Allen up in Buffalo. I mean, when Josh Allen came out, there were some questions because I think he had played at a smaller program. There were some questions about, you know, how are they going to get him to an elite level? And Dable, I guess, adjusted the system to get Josh Allen into that groove and whatnot. What are some of the things that you maybe see from Buffalo and what Dable did up there with Josh Allen that maybe can apply here with Daniel Jones, especially considering Daniel Jones the last three years, that that guy's been beat up and just really hasn't been given much of an advantage to, to making it so far. Yeah. So, you know, I think who it, it's tough, you know, it's about turnovers. Right. Um, and it became more about, um, you know, not allowing him to throw interceptions. So what they basically did up there in Buffalo is just, you don't make it more than what it is. You kind of just like let things happen. Like you take your shots, you, you still want to be aggressive, but you want to be able to create an offense around him. So it's just more timing routes. Uh, just let him be more comfortable in the pocket uh, and kind of put the guys in place of where, where they need to be. So, you know, three-step drop exactly when the receiver is going to make his break. And you have to throw it. You have to. Don't allow him to think and overthink. I think it's just basically those, those timing routes just have to be there. Um, and the wide receivers has to, have to do their job. And, you know, that that's what they were able to do in Buffalo. Um, they had us, uh, you know, Stefan Diggs, who's arguably, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the game. So 
Um, I think that's kind of what they were missing too. You know, Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay came in, um, you know, and he was a little injury prone. Um, but I think he's a guy that can certainly spread your offense. Um, so that's going to be able to help guys underneath get open. And that's, you know, Kadarius, Tony, Wondell Robinson, um, guys like that. So I, I think it's just more about those wide receivers getting open and it being more of a timed offensive uh, passing scheme. But um, it it's going to be tough because I want them to also centralize a lot of the offense around Saquon, but that's not what they did in Buffalo. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my question about, you know, where are they going to go with Saquon? Um, and are they going to trust, you know, that he's going to be able to stay healthy? They, they're not going to centralize the offense around him, obviously. Even Buffalo is a pass-first offense. Um, but I think he's extremely important. Like, I love Saquon. I'm totally a Saquon fan. So I'm just hoping that he is able to stay healthy. Um, and they'll, they'll centralize it to be more of a passing offense. But if Saquon can prove that he can be the guy that you can rely on, then I think they'll maybe slowly transition into giving him more and more uh, handoffs each game. Yeah, already we've from what we've seen in OTA, Saquon has been moved all over the formation. He's been split wide. He's been in the slot. They've had him go uh, misdirections. They've had had him come out of the backfield. I think one of the most underrated aspects of his game has been using him as a receiver, getting him into space because you put him against a linebacker or a defensive back, that's a mismatch. And we have seen it in practice so many times. It's like, you know, we don't see it in the games and fans are like, you said that this happened. I'm like, I swear it happened. I'm not the only one who saw it. (laughs) So I think this offensive staff now has realized, hey, this guy can be a mismatch. And every time they have split this guy out wide or, or had him in the slot, he's beaten the defender. It doesn't matter who it is. He has beaten the defender. So it's like, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Because listen, if Saquon is going to be more effective running to the outside, which, you know, we have seen from his days back to Penn State, why not take advantage of him running those outside routes, you know, those wheel routes and all that other good stuff. So finally, it looks like we've got a a coaching staff that's going to try and modernize the offense. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, um, I, I, you know, I was reading a little about uh, some people that have been writing about some of the OTA stuff, and um, I saw that they were running some empty looks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what that does is that speeds up the offense, right? So you think, oh, man, then there's no protection for Daniel Jones. Like, he's going to get smacked back there. Like, no, what it does is it, it allows – there's no play action. It gets the ball out fast. If you look at what Buffalo did, that's what they did with Josh Allen. That you know that they don't they didn't need a running back back there to kind of to kind of clog up the the pocket or nothing. No, put him out wide, get him out of the get him out of there. Like let Daniel Jones, just like what Josh Allen did, do his thing, get the ball out quick, uh, just so he can kind of go through you know two step three step drops, just get the ball out of your hands. And I think that's what they want to do with Daniel. Definitely, and the other thing that they're doing a lot more of, and maybe you can explain what the benefit is. From an offensive perspective, more pre-snap motion, which we didn't really see with Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator the last couple of years. What benefit does pre-snap motion give to a quarterback? Oh, that's 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 a great question. So um, I ended up writing like a whole article on this. I think it was like a year and a half ago. Um, well, what it does is it it does two things. It exposes the defense. Um, unless your defensive coordinator 
uh, is super smart and and all the defense all the defenders are on the same page. Um, you know, the pre-snap motion won't expose what the defense is doing. Um, but a lot of the time that's not the case. Uh, if if it if a player, if a defender is following a guy across the field when when that player is motioning, most likely they're in man. Um, and so what that does is you motion one guy and you go, okay, he's in man. So if I motion this other guy out like Saquon and somebody follows him, then you know that that linebacker is on Saquon. Like, you know that for a fact. So what are you going to make him do? Run a vertical, right? So it exposes the defense and then you're able to manipulate that defense uh, by putting certain players in certain positions. Um, but it, it, it can also move defenses off balance. So if you motion two guys to the left side, and two defenders go with them, what, what is the right side? They're, it's empty. There's nothing there. So you have your quick guys like Tony and Wandell to, to, to run out there, run wheels all in that open space that that, that motion just created. So those are, those are the couple things that it can do, um, manipulate defenses. It certainly helps the quarterback know what the hell you're going to do once you snap the ball. Tom Brady always said, um, sorry, Tom Brady once said that um, he knew where he was going to throw the ball before the snap even happened. He already knows which guy is going to get it. And there are some players that don't, there's some quarterbacks that literally don't, that don't know that, you know, that they, they drop back, they read, they read the defenses and they think that they see something that they don't, they throw it and you get it intercepted. Why don't these guys just listen to the goat, right? Tom, like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I was never like a huge Tom Brady fan or anything. I don't think anybody is that group in the Northeast uh, that isn't living in Boston, but you got to recognize the talent, right? So why don't these guys know who they're throwing to or have an idea before the ball is snapped? Pre-snap motion does that. It's basically like a leg up on the defense. So I think that's going to be a huge benefit. Um, if that's something that they're absolutely putting in the game plan, it's great. And that brings up another point, because one of the quote unquote complaints that I've had about Daniel Jones is the mental processing, the pre-snap and the post-snap. It's like it's like he sees one thing pre-snap and then takes the snap, drops back. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, gosh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So do you think pre-snap is going to maybe help him speed up that mental processing aspect of his game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think him. Him and the coaches will have to be on the same page at all times. Um, so there, you know, there are two different ways that you can pre-snap. The coach can call it, or the quarterback can call it. Um, usually, when the coach calls it, uh, it's helping the quarterback. So eventually, down the line, then the quarterback can then make those pre-snap um, motions or uh, those audibles himself. Um, and I'm sure that's where they're going with that. So the coach calls it first, um, and then down the line. Uh, Daniel Jones will start to see it, you know, if it works in the beginning. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, they're kind of setting him up uh, for that. And, you know, it, it, it does have to do with a little bit of the defenses. So in the NFC East, um, the Eagles haven't been too bad um, on defense. I mean, last year they were terrible on defense. Um, but if you look at Washington, you know, they had a sell- stellar defensive line. Um, then you, the Cowboys secondary was good. Uh, so it's not like the NFC East uh, was, you know, easy. Uh, the defenses, you know, that they they can throw some disguises out there. Um, so it, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, super easy for for Daniel Jones to be able to, 
you know, see something, understand it and throw it. Like it, it, it takes time to develop that skill. So um, I think it's just some, something where, you know, his coach kind of just like put him out there to, to do it himself. Um, and I think uh, Brian Dable is just going to be able to kind of ease him into it a little bit uh, easier, especially with his background with Josh Allen. You can't just throw somebody get out there, the Wolves like that, w- w- what they did with him, you know? All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, if you're looking for that special gift but can't decide, or maybe you're just ready to pop the question to that special someone, BlueNile.com has you covered either way. BlueNile.com has jewelry experts on hand 24-7 via phone or chat to help you find a gift within your budget range. Or if you're feeling creative and want to do it yourself, use BlueNile.com's online tools to create the perfect one-of-a-kind diamond ring. Whatever your occasion, make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more with the code LOCKEDON. Put your faith in Blue Nile and know that every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace today. Go to BlueNile.com and remember that promo code Locked on to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, Catalyst Power partners with you or your trusted energy consultant to produce a power supply plan that fits your business and your market risk tolerance. They have a suite of options customizable to your business's needs, including options that bundle with or focus on renewable energy. And right now in New York, Catalyst Power is offering an on-site solar solution for your business that requires zero installation, maintenance, or material purchase costs. That's right, zero capital expense costs for you. Plus, qualified businesses could be eligible for up to six months of at-cost energy supply from Catalyst Power. Visit catalystpower.com slash Giants to learn more. All right, Lori, I want to, speaking of Daniel Jones, I want to talk a little bit about the mental aspect of it, because back in, um, I think it was late January, John Mara, the co-owner of the Giants, made a comment that probably is the comment of the year. He said, we've done everything possible to screw this kid up. Hooray, they finally admitted it. They didn't have an offensive line in place for him. They had to build up the receivers and the tight ends. They, they had no consistency in the scheme. So, you know, you look at some of the other quarterbacks historically in the league, and I'm talking recent, you know, the David Carrs, for example, um, guys who have come in with high expectations. They haven't come into good situations, and basically they got ruined because their offensive line was garbage. They didn't have receivers, whatever the case may be. Daniel's entering year four. What is the key here? I mean, I, and obviously you can't get inside his head, but as a former athlete, you know, you've built up that mental toughness. So what is it about overcoming that? You know, you, you've got this adversity, everything's going against you. So how, if you were advising Daniel Jones, hey, look, don't get down. What would you say to him to kind of, you know, help him get through it, if you will? Well, I think the whole, I think the hardest thing for, for any player is having to go through three different coaches, you know, or, or two different coaches or or just a coaching change in general. I think that's where they messed up more than anything. Uh, And, you know, it's a shame nowadays as a quarterback coming out of the, of college, 
you have to you have to come in and start. I don't think it's fair. Um, and then and then you're going to put them behind an offensive line that that is weak. And then you know the coaching staff in general is just your guy. The turnover rate is high. Like guys are coming in and leaving. And it's just like you know there has to be consistency. So if there's one thing I would say is just trust your coach and build a rapport with him that you have now, so he sticks around. Um, it, it, it'll be hard uh, for any kid to come into uh, a, a league like the NFL and expect him to have consistency when the guys above him, AKA the coaches aren't even consistent, you know, that, that, that's the toughest thing. And so it's really just about trusting your coaches, just trust what they tell you, do what they say. You know, it, it's hard to say like, you know, Oh, don't see ghosts out there. You know, it's tough when, when you don't trust your, your offensive line, but there's been a little bit of a revamp in terms of the offensive line and, and the guys, you know, that are in the Evan Neal's that's a huge pickup. So I think it's just about trusting those guys, uh, the offensive line, trusting the guys in front of you, and then more importantly, trusting the coaches. Um, and, and so I think it's a little bit more to, this would be more to Brian, like make sure you build that trust between you and your quarterback. That that's, that's really, that's really the key. Football is a team sport. It's not something that, you know, you know this, you know, it's not something that just one guy can do. It, it takes every piece of the puzzle. You miss one block and you're toast. You know what I mean? So it's just about, it's about trust and it's about watching film and it's about, you know, building the rapport uh, with, with, uh, with the guys in front of you, the offensive line and your coaching staff. And how much of that also is buy-in just taking a system and saying, okay, I can make this my own. Everything. Everything, absolutely everything. And it has to be, um, it, you know, you, you have to buy into it. Um, it's like when you look at the Jaguars last year, look what urban Meyer did to those guys. You know, he, he went out, he didn't take the, the plane ride home with them. He went out to a bar, you know, you have to set examples. You have to be able to, to, to be that example and build that trust between, between you and your players. You have to buy into everything that they say. Um, so I think, I think it's super important, you know, it's, that's a, it's a one a, right. It's, it's, uh, it's the, it's the most important thing, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're buying into something, you're going to embrace it and you're going to take ownership of it, which, uh, you know, I long suspected that maybe that wasn't there with the giants, with Daniel Jones, that it's like, okay, this is the system. This is what the coach is telling me to do. It's maybe not a good fit for me, but I'm going to just go out there and do the best I can. And, you know, kind of like a lukewarm enthusiasm, if you will. And that's kind of the vibe I picked up from him when, you know, Garrett was here, which, you know, was quite frankly, I was surprised because I figured Garrett, former quarterback, you know, maybe they would connect a little bit better, but yeah, antiquated offense. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't seem like he connects well with his players. And I I don't know if it's something like where he just comes off a little smug or something like that. Like, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's his facial expression. Like it just doesn't seem like, I I don't know. I I wasn't there. Obviously we're not in the room, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, Brian, he's more of a fit uh, in the locker room. He's he's more of a player's coach. Absolutely. Much, much more laid back. I mean, guys aren't on eggshells and whatnot. Now, when we measure, and I get this question a lot, so I want to ask you your opinion on this. When we go to measure the success of Daniel Jones, you know, coaches often say, don't worry about the stats, worry about 
you know, the, the intangibles. So what should, should everybody be looking for to say, yes, Daniel Jones has arrived. I mean, is there a certain stat we should be looking at? Is it decision-making? Where, where do you think, you know, we need to be looking to say that, yes, this guy is, is it, or no, this guy is not it. It's tough, right? Cause I'm always on the optimistic side. Even right. when things are going bad, you can always say, well, at least he took the chance right. or like if he, if he doesn't take the chance and he holds on to it, well, at least he didn't throw the interception. You know, there's always like, there's two sides of the coin, right? You, you're not really sure. Um, so honestly, I, I think it's, I think it's how you take the losses and you turn around, uh, and you win the next week. So I wouldn't, I would say more of a whole, like more of a four game stretch rather than just a game by game basis. What do you do in your four games, like your quadrant of the season, you know, how, how do you change from one quadrant to the next? Is there development? If you call one play and, and you, you know, you see it, he was open, right. And then four games later, you make that same, or you call that same play and you actually throw it to the right guy. There has to be a little bit of progression. Um, and I can't even say game, game after game. It's not game by game. It's by quadrants. So um, I would say that would be the most, if you see any, um, you know, progression or, or signs of him, you know, getting better or making decisions uh, like compared game one to game seven, that's where you go. Okay. Has he gotten worse? Okay. Then we can kind of give up on him, but you know, it can't be like a game by game thing. Cause then you're just putting too much pressure. Right. Um, I think uh, you have to have, you have to be able to learn from your mistakes. Uh, so I wouldn't say just, even if the first two games don't go well, just, just give it an, at least until game five or six for you to kind of go step back and say, okay, now, now let's look at this whole thing. Uh, has there been progression? You know, we called the same play. Uh, did he see it? Did he see what he did wrong? And then his reaction post game, uh, I think says a lot too. Yeah. I mean, he's very even killed. I mean, he's, he's an Eli clone when it comes to post game, but you're right. Progress in a player is never linear. So it's not like, you know, you're going to get better, a a little bit better each week. You're going to have your peaks and valleys. I think Mm -hmm. ideally from what you're saying, you want to have more peaks than you do valleys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I think his valley was 2020 and 2021. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it's his time to shine this year. Um, and I, I, you guys should definitely know by by game, you know, at least six. You know, I said five or seven in the last comment. So, you know, right around there, uh, you know, we, we should know who Daniel Jones is. Um, but we also have to keep in mind it's, a, it's still brand new head coach, it's brand new offense again. Like, so it's 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 going to be tough. But um, but yeah, I think around that time we should know, you know, what's going on uh in the locker room uh and and the media in new york you guys know what you're doing uh so i think they usually kind of get get down to the to, to the nits and grits um sooner rather than later so i think if anything you guys will definitely know even the media will know about that time uh you know what's happening with daniel jones is he getting better um but uh but yeah i think around that time there, there's still some growing to do in the roster though you sure. can't lie about that. So um, the defense definitely has to step up uh, as well. So, And speaking of the defense, I did want to get some of your thoughts since, you know, you did play defense. You played both sides of the ball, obviously, cornerback and running back. Cornerback's a position of interest to me 
And uh, you know that the Giants had to part ways with James Bradbury because of the salary cap. They have Aaron Robinson, who was their third round pick last year, a guy who looks like he's the favorite to win the job. I don't know how familiar you are with all the, the, the collectional cornerbacks they have here, but based on what you know about Wink Martindale's system from Baltimore, is it as big of a deal if he doesn't have the guys on the back end and as long as the guys on the front end are pushing forward? Or is it, you know, a partnership or is it, you know, the, the success of the, the front end rely on the back end? It's, it's, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg type of scenario, if you know what I mean. So in this defense, yeah. what, do, what do you think is, is the priority? Defensive line, without a doubt. Um, okay. They need to get that pressure. Uh, and first, you, you, you look at the defensive line, and that's what the secondary looks at. They, if, you know, even James Bradbury said himself, oh, one of the reasons why, you know, he, he had a bunch of teams to choose from, unfortunately, uh, for Giants fans, he did choose the Eagles. But he said in one of those quotes that um, he liked the defensive line. And a lot of cornerbacks talk about their defensive lines. I think that helps them more than we all realize um, that pressure allows them to play either off a little bit or they can take chances and play on a little bit and kind of press them a little bit more. Um, and so they have the opportunity uh, to, to make up for any mistakes or false steps uh, that they make if the pressure is there. Um, so I think uh, Thibodeau was a plus pick. Um, I think him putting a lot of pressure uh, with, uh, with, you know, Leonard Williams, I think those two, man, it's going to be exciting to watch them. Um, I think they're, they're more important than the secondary. Yeah, and, and throw in Aziz Ojulari from last year. You know, he was the sack leader. He had eight sacks as a rookie. It's going to be a pick-your-poison type of thing. And the good thing, I would think, is now that the defensive secondary doesn't have to hold its coverage as long. I mean, is mm-hmm. that – do you agree with that? Yeah, 1,000%. One, 1, um, you guys also got Jaheed Ward – um, yes. who was on Baltimore right. and then he went to Jacksonville and now he's uh, on the Giants. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's a force too, man. He, he's a big body. He, he gets uh he gets penetration. So, so yeah, what you said, absolutely. They, they don't have to hold their, uh, you know, hold on to their, their guys as long as they have to. Um, if, if the defensive line gets that pressure, that's secondaries, not that you want them to make mistakes. Nobody wants right. them to make mistakes, but you know, they're, they're, um, they're less liable if they do. Um, because you have such a force on that uh, on the defensive line. And the other thing to remember is that that defensive secondary now is still kind of young. You know, Adoree yeah. Jackson is the oldest guy on that team, and he's he's what five years in now. So now that gives that defensive secondary a chance to kind of gel and, and get their footing underneath yeah. them to where you know maybe by midseason now you've got a force up front and in the back end of the defense which you didn't have for, for quite some time, not since the days of Jason Pierre Paul with this Giants team. So, I mean, that's, I, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but who, who I really like, um, I mean, I, I like your pick uh, in, in Cordell Flott, uh, the cornerback there. Um, you know, I, I think he, he played really well uh, in college, and I think he's kind of a little bit, little bit underrated. Uh, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I, I think he got, he's a guy that will be able to kind of come in and, and he's not undersized. You know, he, he has the height uh, where he thinking come in, learn. And I think he'll probably end up being one of the, 
one of the starters uh, in the future. Yeah, down the line for sure. I mean, especially with Adoree Jackson as that contract gets, you know, more expensive and more expensive. But, you know, interesting pick, Cordell Fla, you know, a guy who I think is going to be more more in the sub packages to start. And then maybe they'll they'll look to work him into, you know, some of the other you know, main packages. I mean, the the, cor- the slot cornerback position, I'm still not sure what the Giants are going to do there. And that's such an important position. That's basically like another starter now. So, yeah, it is. Like, so you know, do they go with Darnay Holmes? Do they go with Flod? Do they put a safety in there? It's, it's like, you know, what do you do? Or do you do a committee? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends, like, who's playing better, like your safety or your your nickel corner? Um, because honestly, if, if you're running the nickel package, you can you can substitute them in and out. Um, you know, if if your nickel's playing better, uh, you're more likely to play man. I I really thought that they were gonna they were gonna go after uh, Stingley, Derek Stingley. I had them drafting him because he was perfect for their man defense. You know, mm. it was just like that's who I thought that they were gonna get. Um, and he didn't last. Yeah, no, he didn't. So it, it kind of sucks, man. I I had him going to to the Giants, but uh. Yeah, they're definitely playing more of a man defense this year. So um, I think, you know, whoever can kind of stick with those, you know, stick in man deep man coverage a little bit better, that that's who you're going to be your best bet going with. So anybody that's not, um, you know, undersized, anything like that, but nickel corner, you know, with that against that slot seems like the slot is now like the norm. So, Mm. so it's more likely that a nickel corner is going to be, you know, the starter rather than the two safeties. It seems like three corners are are, are a necessity now instead yeah. of those two safeties. So I think Flot is just is just, you know, he, he was the perfect pick there. So I just yeah. think, you know, he'll have time to learn. Um and yeah, oh, he should be that guy, you know, in the next year. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, there's only one place to find what you need quickly for your car or truck, and that's at rockauto.com. Rock Auto has over 20 years of offering competitive pricing on thousands of parts for every make, model, and manufacturer. Check out their website today, and don't forget to write down Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need, rockauto.com. Now, one of the other things I've noticed about what we've seen from the Wings uh, defense so far, a lot of amoeba looks. And when the amoeba takes shape, finally, you see some really funky looking formations. Like we saw two down linemen and then, you know, two, two standing up and just different alignments that we haven't seen, but a lot more amoeba looks. And um you're obviously familiar with with Amiibo. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, basically guys just milling around the, the the line of scrimmage or in the box there, and then you don't know who's dropping back, who's coming at you, who's going to you know flare out to the flats and stuff like that. Can you talk about the benefits of that, and then just you know the, the orchestration that's involved there because that does take some orchestration to get, for everybody to know what they have to do, when they have to do it, and to do it boom, you know, at the same time, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of like the counter to pre-stamp motions on offense. Um, you know, but the downside of that is just what you just said. If as a defender, you're not really sure what you're doing, you can look at the guy next to you and know that he's in man or this is his responsibility because he's standing there. 
but in the amoeba it's like everybody's kind of standing around so like if if you if no, everybody isn't on the same page it can also hurt you um but i i think it's i think it's definitely the way to go um in terms of like who the giants have like their personnel wise on defense um i think they have those guys that they're able to drop back at any moment um but they're also uh they're, you know you have your two outside guys that can rush uh so I, I think when you run the three four defense, it's more of that like switching and hybrid, and that's why I think the three four is definitely some more of like what we're gonna see in the future. Um, less you know, it's kind of moving away from the four three. Um, but uh, no, it's it's I think it's cool. You know, it's it's definitely the the pre snap motion deceptive side of the defensive side of the ball. You know, it's just the same thing, uh, but on defense. Um, I'm kind of excited to see that. And I think uh, that that amoeba look um, works well with that three, four, because guys that are that have their finger, you know, their hands in the dirt. um, Some of those guys in three, four on the edges, they don't like to put their hand in the dirt anyway. Uh, They would rather just rush off of a two point stand. So I think that just is an additional benefit uh, to help them get, you know, a jump on the snap. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's cool. I think it's the way to go, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's certainly, like I said, some, some really funky looking formations that come out, but um, let me ask you this, you know, Don Martindale known for throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at quarterbacks that can come back to bite you sometimes because guys can get the ball out of the, the ball out of their hands quickly. Um, you know, sometimes if a guy overshoots, it's like, there's a gap there. And now if you're running an RPO, he can scoot through with a running play. So how does, how do you think the Giants and, and Don Martinell would have to kind of balance it? Because you want to be aggressive. You want to get after the quarterback, but you also don't want to expose yourself to these gaps or have, you know, having the ball come out of his hand quickly. Now you got nobody in the back end to defend it. So how do you kind of mitigate that? Yeah, I think in terms of what you have to do on, on the outside uh, is play off coverage. Um, because if, you know, if, if your guys on the outside get beat, um, and you're throwing the kitchen sink at them, you know, it's toast, but at least if you can play off coverage, you get, you give, uh, you know, your quarterbacks a little bit of room, less time to kind of close that cushion between them and the wide receivers. So that if somehow a quarterback did roll out of the pocket or something, um, being off coverage, uh, you're, you know, as a corner or, you know, as a safety, as a nickel, uh, you're kind of able to have, you know, one eye on the, on the wide receiver and one eye on the quarterback. I know it's, it seems like it's, a you know, impossible. Um, but that's what they tell you to do as, as a corner, you have to have one eye here, one eye in the backfield at all times. Um, and you're definitely able to do that in off coverage a little bit better. Uh, so you don't have to worry about kind of getting beat over the top and I think it kind of covers your butt when, uh, when, blitzes maybe don't uh land like you expect them to so just as long as they pay a little more off coverage and they don't you know press man it won't seem like they're running cover zero and and they're getting beat you know so you just if you overcompensate on one side then you under or i don't know what word that neutralize yeah on the other side so you do one thing one way just to kind of keep that balance you know yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be a tough thing to do, but uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out. So, all right, one more question for you, and then I'll let you go. 
you look at this giant team and what you know of it, okay, what still concerns you most about this roster or, or maybe the coaching staff or what, what element still kind of makes you say, mm, I hope they can kind of work it out? Uh, just the injuries, honestly. Mm. Um, I would say on the, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, um, <clears throat> that those pieces are there. It's deadly, man. Like I, I had the Giants. Um, I remember I was on a podcast with uh, with an Eagles uh, podcaster, and he asked me, you know, who I thought was going to win the conference, and he got so mad at me when I said the Giants <laughs> because on paper, man, it's just like it's dominance. You, yeah, you know that that team just has all the weapons for success, um, and injuries just really hindered them. So I think uh, just as long as they're on the same page with the playbook, um. <clears throat> um I think that they, uh, you know, that they have a chance to, to do everything possible to, to score a lot of points on the on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, besides the injuries, though, because that's kind of inevitable, mm-hmm. um, just as long as they can stay healthy. But besides that, um, I would say the offensive line. That's that's still a little shaky uh, in my eyes. I really like the Evan Neal pick, um, but that that part of the team really like resonates throughout the entire team you know if they can hold their blocks then daniel jones has time if he has time then he can throw good balls to the wide receivers if the wide receivers see that he has time and they're going through the making their breaks at the right time then they're able to get their hands on the ball you know so it's like it's a it's a chain reaction so i think it all starts with the offensive line um evan neal is definitely a step in the right direction though and Giant fans will certainly agree with you on that because they haven't had a good offensive line. And gosh, you'd have to go back to maybe 2011, 2012. So it's been a while. It's been, you can, you can make the argument. It's been a decade since they've had a consistently good offensive line. And you mentioned injuries, which is another, you know, big issue. Uh, Brian Dable coming down from Buffalo. I don't think Buffalo had half the injury issue that the Giants had. I don't know if they were doing something different. I mean, is there a w- different way to train or something to avoid it? Or I mean, I know broken bones, you can't avoid it because the game is violent, but you know, a lot of hamstrings, a lot of calves last year, um, you know, a lot of soft tissue injuries. What, what can they do differently? That's all mental uh, to really? be honest. Yeah. Okay. Like if, if, uh, if you, you see, you see a team that's losing, uh-huh. what comes with losing is injuries. But a losing comes first and then the injury. Oh, you know, I can't make it out there today. Sorry, coach, you know, because we're in their head. They're going to lose anyway. So it's like, why go? You know, that really is a thing. And I know, you know, people think all these players get paid a ton of money. No, I mean, like, well, yeah, they do, but they're not going to risk themselves if they don't feel comfortable in the coaching staff and in the blocking, in the quarterback, in you know, whatever. And it's all about buying in and being there mentally. Um, if, if they're able to do that, um, you know, generally if one guy gets hurt and kind of blows everything like, like with Kadarius, Tony, that was kind of just like like a, a weird thing. I think that kind of put, you know, a damper on everything. Um, maybe that was the first domino to fall. And then the rest of them were kind of like, you know, um, I'm not going to say that happens every time. Um, but most of the time, it's, it's a mental, it's a mental thing where, where the injuries kind of come in where it's one after another. And you, then you look at the record and you know, the, the, they're losing. Uh, so just as long as they buy in and it's, it's a mental thing, I think the injuries won't, uh, 
you know, come to the to the forefront as much. Um, and maybe guys will play through that. That that's you know generally how it works. So yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm excited to kind of see them take a step in the right direction. And I think we'll see less injuries if that happens. Yeah. The, avoid the old what they call the business decision, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think exactly. that's what they call it, you know. But but yeah, <laughs> I mean, right now optimism is abound in East Rutherford that you know it's a new era a lot of positive. I mean, you can even feel a different vibe in the building. People aren't walking on eggshells. People are more relaxed. This coaching staff seems committed to wanting to get to know these players. What Not only what makes them tick as people, which is important. Oh, that's an overlooked thing, by the way. Um, but also, what do they do well? What don't they do well? And it's just it, it just sounds like it's become such a psychological thing because, you know, you, you're investing in your your players, the way that they're investing in your program. So it kind of goes both ways. I think something that maybe you didn't see maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So fingers crossed that it yields some good stuff because I'm tired of covering bad football. I've, I've been there for the highs and the lows. I've been there for the two Super Bowls in the Eli Manning era. And of course the last decade, which was, you know, not fun, but anyway, I think Mm -hmm. they're on the right track. I'm always optimistic you got to be right. So yeah, Lori, you have to be Lori. I really appreciate your expertise. I appreciate your time today. Again, folks, you can find her on Twitter. You can see her Twitter account. I'm going to put in the show notes, all, you know, her a little bio, a link to the, her YouTube channel, a link to some of her articles over on USA today's touchdown wire. Do check out her work. And I'm sure you've got some great stuff coming up. So uh, Lori, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was fun. And hopefully we get to chat again down the line. Yeah, hope so. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, everybody. Giant fans, that's going to do do it for us here on the Locked on Giants podcast. Don't forget tomorrow uh, we will have an OTA report. The Giants have an OTA on Thursday today when this show is airing. So we'll have uh, some observations, some thoughts and whatnot from that OTA on Friday's show. So until then, for Laurie Fitzpatrick, I'm Patricia Trainer. Thank you for making the Lockdown Giants podcast your first listen of the day or watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. We'll catch you tomorrow. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.